Welcome back to another Ecolution, and today we're back in the saddle. Hop on with us. We in Ecolution HQ are huge advocates for cycling. What's not to like? You get outside, you get fit, you play with your friends, and along with all of that, it's about the greenest possible way to get around. Okay guys, so I'm off now on a cycle. Um, I'm gonna head down to the beach and I'm gonna meet my friend and we're gonna go for a swim. So um, here we go. I absolutely love cycling and I think it's very important for people to get out and connect with nature and I think cycling is a really good way of doing this. You get to see all the bees working on flowers as I'm just passing by here and you also get, you know, to be very planet friendly. You get to have zero emissions and get some exercise as well and it's important given the time that we're in to get out of the house and maybe enjoy your surroundings and I think cycling is probably one of the better ways to do that. This week, green schools are doing all they can to hashtag celebrate cycling. My name is Alison Phillips and I'm the Green School Cycling Development Officer working with schools on the Green Schools Travel and Global Citizenship Travel Themes. So Bike Week 2020 has been postponed um, from government advice and restrictions. Bike Week normally is all about celebrating and promoting cycling. So some things that we've decided to do this year to celebrate cycling in terms of all of the new cyclists and anyone getting back to their bikes. So we have a whole week devoted to hashtag celebrate cycling. So that is the 15th to the 19th. Normally things that we might be doing is our travel officers might be going into schools and working on cycle training with students and pupils. This year is a bit different. So you can go on to the Green School Stay Home page and there's a whole hashtag celebrate cycling week of activities, lots of videos on how to do different things like maybe make an obstacle course at home for yourself or a, a cycle challenge at home for yourself. Kids and adults all ages are going to talk about how they feel about their bikes and getting out there. We have craft ideas like making mini bikes at home or bringing your own bike and your gear so you can kind of make yourself a bit flashy and of course we'll have some competitions to win some cool bike gear. I love looking outside and going for a walk, seeing so many more people out on bikes. It's such a wonderful experience every time I'm out on my bike or out for a walk and I get to see bikes of all types. So I see the baby bike being pushed by the parents or the balance bike or the, the stabilizers or someone racing down the road. It's really special to see all these bikes and it's no wonder that all the bike shops are selling out of bikes so quickly. We have the space, we have the time, we've had the weather so far and I love getting out there with other people. It makes me feel like I'm part of something bigger. Is our cycling revolution going to stay? I sure hope so. And I think we are ready. I think kids are ready. I think parents are ready. I think everybody is ready. We just have to make sure we're getting all of the ducks in a row first. We see loads of people out on bikes, but I'm starting to already see the roads getting clogged up with cars again. Every time we start walking to the car to go do something, we need to just have a quick think. Do I need the car to do this? It's two seconds to kind of challenge your own habits. I do think that we can keep up our revolution. I think it is sustainable, but we need to get the right infrastructure for everybody to be using. We need safe places for kids 
to cycle, we need segregated cycle lanes so everyone can feel safe, the cars don't feel worried about a new cyclist weaving into the road. There are some things that need to kind of catch up to all of our excitement of cycling and all of our want to cycle. And I think it's happening. I can see in some places, Dublin City Council is doing loads every day. I, I check Twitter and it's just another new amazing thing that they've put in. So things are happening. It feels slow, but people are working and working and working on it. The more people we can get out cycling, the more everyone sees us and the more we realize, yeah, we need to focus on safe infrastructure, safe roads for our cyclists. So if you want to find out anything more about our Celebrate Cycling Week, you can go to Green Schools Stay Home at greenschoolsireland.org. Stay home. And if you search for Green Schools Cycling, then you'll get lots of great resources and follow the hashtag Celebrate Cycling. My name is Leo and I'm six years old and I started cycling my bike in a tennis court when I was five. There was a little hill and then I just did one kick and then I started cycling on my bike. Well, when I was turning it was kind of hard, so I kind of just fell. Cycling's really fun because when you go down hills, it feels really fun when the wind's also blowing just down on you. And when you're going up and down the hill, it's really fun too. My favorite place to go cycling is around Malahai Castle. I can see um, rabbits and squirrels there while I'm cycling. And when we're going past the playground, we normally just run up these big hills then it leads us into the woods and then we really like going there. The lockdown has seen a massive increase in people using their bikes. Go to any park or along any cycle route and you'll find them thronged with groups of people, kids, parents and friends who've gathered by bike. But not everyone owns one. Thankfully, along with Dublin Bikes in the capital, there are a lot more ways to get hold of a bike. Hello, I'm Hugh Cooney, the CEO of Bleeper Bikes. Bleeper Bike is a bike sharing scheme that is uh, solely based off smart technology on the bike and an app that allows you open the locks of the bike. So uh, most people have probably used Dublin Bikes. So the key difference between Bleeper Bikes is Dublin Bikes are parked into stations. Bleeper Bikes, on the other hand, because they've got the smart locks on the bikes, can be parked at standard public bike racks. They don't need customised stations. So the range is based on staying within what we call our purple zone. As far south is UCD at the moment. As far north to Dublin is DCU. You can also go to Blanchestown and you can also go out to Hoat and as far up as Malahide. It's purely an urban initiative because we charge a relatively small amount of money to use the bikes. It's one euro per hour. You know, if bikes are sitting there for a few days unused, the business isn't viable and will eventually, um, you know, uh, have to close. This model, as we have priced in Dublin, wouldn't work in rural areas. So um, we're primarily focused on um, urban areas with um, relatively high population densities. So I lived in China for several years. I was in uh, Shanghai on holidays in 2016, and I saw the first company was called Mobike that essentially invented this. I loved Dublin bikes anyway, but I loved the way Mobike had simplified it by kind of condensing everything down to a smart lock. 
And as soon as I saw that, I just became obsessed with it and, and wanted to figure out how I could bring it to Dublin. We saw a huge increase in May. Probably two reasons for that. One is people uh, were lacking options of what to do in their spare time. So cinemas and the likes were closed. So we were one of the few options people had to spend their leisure time. And two, the weather was exceptionally good in May. May was our busiest month. And in some parts of Dublin, we saw jumps as much as 400%. Blanchardstown to Ongar, which is a very residential area. We saw a huge increase on uh, what we would have seen in April. And then out around the Clontarf area, we saw huge increases as well. We also saw people going for much longer cycles. Before the COVID lockdown, our average customer trip was 14 minutes and in May it was over an hour so people were going for much longer cycles than, than we would typically have seen. Instagram has exploded and maybe that's reflective of, of our younger users. It was kind of a combination of two, two things. One is maybe they didn't have their own bikes. They were with their friends that had already got their own bikes and they didn't want to be feel, feel left behind. They, they hired a, a bleeper bike. They wanted to get into cycling because the weather was so good and they totally get the app side of it. Younger users actually prefer the fact that we're app-based rather than having a membership card. I've noticed on my cycles into work and then just walking around, more and more cycle infrastructure and protection going up for cyclists. So I think there was um, some great work done during this time. And hopefully that will continue because there seems to be a greater section of the public that are now taking to cycling. But it's still a comparatively small percentage of the population that cycle. But as that shifts, then politicians become under greater pressure to spend money on improving cycling infrastructure. So I think all in all, this can only be a good thing for speeding up uh, good protected cycling infrastructure. It would be great if there were more rural bike sharing schemes, but as Hugh says, it's hard to roll out in places that don't have clusters of people. Besides that, let's hope the increase isn't just about us having nothing better to do. Okay, so I've arrived at my destination and uh, ready to go. It's by the sea and there's a lot of people around and it's good to see a lot of people on bikes out and about. Doesn't look too inviting, looks pretty cold, but um, I'm going to get the togs on and I'm going in. My name is Evie and I'm nearly 11 and I cycle to school. Well, we live in a cul-de-sac, so it takes like five minutes to like get onto the canal. And then when we get onto the canal, we have to go on the footpath because it's very busy. So we have to look out for cars. Well, we cycled on the road today. I felt pretty safe, but I was also quite conscious about the cars around me. But when we go to school, we're on the footpath. So we are safe and I feel safer. I think they should put bigger cycle lanes in for cyclists and maybe make more greenways for people to get places and probably a road through town only for bikes. Check if your bike is okay before cycling. Always wear a helmet and stay safe. My favorite thing about having a bike is you can get around places faster because if you were in a car, there would be a lot of traffic jams but when you're on a bike, it's very easy, but you still have to stay safe. Actually, how many of you cycle to school? How ready do you think your school is for more of us pedalling in? Um, hi, I'm Jane Hackett and I'm the Green Schools Travel Manager. 
So my job entails trying to get children across Ireland walking and cycling to school so that the school gates aren't full of cars um, and we can have a healthier, safer environment around our, our school gates. So the big problem is the overuse and over-reliance of cars. People have gotten into a real habit of jumping in the car and it's just societal habit. It's it's not anyone's one person's fault. It's just that we've created towns and cities that are over-reliant on car journeys. So often you'll find a school located outside a town and nobody's thought about the options for walking or cycling. The other problems are obviously associated with greenhouse gas emissions. Hard transport is our second biggest greenhouse gas emitting sector within Irish society. And we're really trying to, you know, open people's eyes to the fact that cars aren't just something that we should be using really frequently. It's something, it's a luxury item, you know. COVID-19 has kind of opened people's eyes to the options that you don't need to drive everywhere. Um, I've seen a lot of people commenting on the fact that their car sat outside, you know, their home for months on end and they suddenly realised that the bike that was in the shed doesn't have to stay in the shed all the time that it's a great way to get around and especially now that people are really conscious about interacting with one another and people don't want to necessarily travel by public transport so using your bike is just a great opportunity to get out safely and to interact with one another with social distancing in mind we've also seen a huge increase in the number of young people out on their bikes and families out on their bikes moving away from the car journeys we're really trying to say to parents if you have a bike and your kids have a bike bring them out on the route to school possibly you know if, if you feel that that's appropriate and cycle always behind your children so that you're safe interacting with traffic on the road but in the front of the school gate we're hoping that cars will stay away um, and we're hoping that we can look at areas like park and stride locations keeping the school gate free of cars and trying to make them a safe place for schools to open and let children uh, actively walk and cycle to school where possible obviously there's a huge potential um, in Ireland to really support new cyclists or people who have found their bike again in the shed. It's all about respecting each other and trying to give space for each other, especially for pedestrians as well. You know, our footpaths are full of obstacles often um, and we also need to kind of free up the space in our footpaths. And that also really means that people don't park their cars on the footpaths, you know, park in an appropriate way and give space. I think actually anecdotally, I see great uptaking in cycling throughout the whole of Ireland. Like we have staff who work with schools all over the country, um, from North Donegal right down to the tips of in Kerry, you know. So we have staff telling us that God, I'm seeing more and more people out cycling. So there's evidence there to show that people have started. And I think more and more people, because they're at home, they are exploring their local communities more. They're taking back interest in, in their communities and how they're working. And they're getting out cycling with their families. We have to radically change the way we operate our society. You know, we can't, we can't go on the way we're going on. We have a huge crisis coming down the line and that's climate change. And we have to take radical action to set ourselves up for a new future, a new way of getting around. Hi, I'm Bobby and I'm eight. My first bike was pretty cool. It had my name and age um, on the side of it with like waterproof stickers. First, I was learning how to balance on my bike. 
and um, to put my foot down if I was going to fall. The first thing I did for balance was put my foot on my feet down when I'm on my bike and then put my feet up and balance on my bike as long as I can. And then if I fell, um, my daddy would hold the bike and then he'd let go and as soon as I started falling, I'd put my foot down. I was cycling on the green and then suddenly I think I hit like a big rock on the green or something and then I cycled into a bush. I felt a bit sore. As has been said, improvements to places we cycle have increased during lockdown. But for many kids, cycling along busy roads can be scary. And in fact, our town centres are often set up more for cars than people cycling or on foot. Could we do better for everyone by making our cities and streets more playful? I'm Aaron Copeland. I'm James's TY coordinator in school and I'm also one of the coordinators of A Playful City in Dublin. A Playful City is about making cities more livable for everyone and making them livable means allowing families and children to enjoy the streets safely and playfully and allow people who want to design a nicer city to live in the opportunity to do that, making Dublin in particular a much more beautiful and much more exciting place uh, and a less scary place to walk through. My name is Nessany Vreen. I'm also a founder of A Playful City, along with Aaron and Naomi Murphy and Marissa Danker. When we first came up with the idea of Playful City, uh, it was really after having two children and realising that Dublin City, uh, now that we were finished with festivals and parties and going to gigs, uh, we had to experience it as a family. And we kind of realised when we had two kids in tow, Dublin City didn't really want to to know us in the same way. That was the first realisation. And then as we looked around, we realised, you know, first of all, where are the families and where are the kids gone, but also where are the older people gone? The more we explored it, the more we realised that actually cities weren't being designed for children and families and older people. They were being designed for a, a type of demographic, which didn't include us anymore. So we felt the need to uh, join forces with a couple of friends and to start bringing together loads of different groups and partners to create this ethos that is a playful city, which, as Aaron said, is really about making the streets more livable, particularly for, you know, cyclists and pedestrians and safer, but also just so much more enjoyable and to approach a city not just as a place to consume and uh, be commercial in, but also as a place to enjoy as you walk through it. A go-to place for a lot of people is somewhere like Copenhagen, somewhere that's set up for cyclists by default where you can cycle through a city like that and feel absolutely safe pretty much at every turn. But as well as that, they've also thought about cycling not just as a form of mobility they've also thought about it as something that can be enjoyed all ages and they've dotted along those cycleways uh, playgrounds and play spaces that are just extraordinary they have playgrounds on tops of roofs they, they just think about things completely differently but they've weaved it into the tapestry of the city they don't just have them behind a fence in the corner of a park pretty much you've got your dog run in one part of the park and then you've got your playground in the other part of the park so the message is to where children and and in particular teenagers, is uh, you can only go here for children up to a certain age. And then teenagers, you don't go anywhere. If you do, we'll complain about it. So there's nothing that's been set up for children and families outside of some very narrow things in Dublin. But when you go to the likes of Copenhagen, you realise, Janie, they're, they're everywhere. Like you've got football pitches in, in the middle of squares and just extraordinary places. 
that really just invite people to use their city in a way that isn't just about travelling from A to B. A typical Irish playground. They're kind of rolled out flat pack spaces where everything is designed to the millimetre and often, even as a parent, there's nowhere to sit down or if there is, it's kind of, you know, one or two benches between X amount of parents, you know, and it's the one place where you can actually let your kids run free. So that to us is what an intergenerational space isn't. So what is it then? Well, it's it's a space that can be used in a multitude of different ways. So what does that mean? Well, it's a place where kids can climb, teenagers can skateboard off, and older people can sit down. It's a designing a space that can be used in loads of different ways. One thing we've been kind of looking at through the, a report from Dublin City Council was this idea of reimagining Dublin One Laneways. The idea behind that is sort of using the spaces in the city, these vital spaces in the city, as a means of permeability to walk through, but also spaces that you can just sit down and enjoy no matter what age you are. There could be colour in there, so it can be places that invite teenagers to come in and you know do some artwork. You can bring in temporary you know skateboarding places again because we see skateboarders as people who actually look at the furniture of, of a city in the most playful way because they look at a boulder and the rest of us just see a boulder. A kid will see something to jump over, a skateboarder will see it in just the most fantastic ways. So it's about designing spaces, thinking about the users of that space and thinking about it in a way that's thinking about the forgotten users as well as I say the, the older people who need to traver traverse the city but if there's not enough places for them to sit down they simply won't be able to. The laneways we're looking at are the laneways that would have been built around the time of Georgian Dublin so these would have been service laneways. The real advantage to these is that it can take pretty much pedestrian traffic all the way through Dublin without any real worries about traffic. The real thing that's exciting about this and healthy about this is that it allows you time to meander. You don't have to be always just worrying about a whole range of different things. As a result, there's also time that then you can allow people to linger and stay around. And because more people are using it, those antisocial activities that were going on, and I include traffic as an antisocial activity a lot of the time, in that it doesn't allow us to, uh, to engage with the city space without fear a lot of the time, because you've got like a ton and a half of machinery driving at 50 kilometers past you. So that's going to cause a threat, and that's a constant threat. So these laneways provide an opportunity for designers, for businesses, for families, for all sorts to, to, to really exist in the city in a much more uh, interesting way. Really the long-term effect of this are environmental as well. It's, it's around sustainability, it's around air quality, um, it's around community and bringing people together in a way that's much more social than in and out of cars, you know. Don't know about you, but I think we could all do with a lot more spaces that encouraged us to get outside to experience our environment. My name's Freya. I'm 10 and I'm nearly 11 and I cycle to school. It's fun and you can go further places and it won't make your legs tired and you can just cycle with your friends and it's really fun. One thing I've seen is large groups of friends of every age and gender meeting up to go for a cycle or just to go somewhere swiftly and easily on their bike. Most kids in Ireland learn to cycle for fun, so it might seem weird to think that, as teenagers, less and less girls keep up the hobby. 
My name is Robbie Egan and I work for Green Schools as a secondary school travel officer. And a big part of my role then is working with the Anti-Cycles campaign, looking into the research, trying to develop the research. The Anti-Cycles campaign was initially set up in order to explore and possibly explain the gender gap in cycling amongst teenagers to school. It was initially looked into by my predecessor Katrina Bugle along with Jane Hackett. The origin of it was that multiple travel officers would go into schools and they would uh, conduct travel surveys and one aspect of this was finding out what kind of, of the different groups would cycle. So if it was boys who cycled, if it was girls who cycled and often when the question was asked about girls cycling there was a kind of vibe in the room there was a bit of like discomfort and kind of giggling and stuff and i think that was kind of the beginning of the question what explains this lack of kind of ridership with girls uh, cycling and what's behind this reluctance or this discomfort to do with cycling and and being a girl according to the uh, latest cso figures only one in ten of teenagers cycle to school are female i'm emer and i'm fiona and we're twins and we're taking part in the Anchi Cycles campaign. It's about getting more girls out and cycling on bikes and either cycling to places or just for the fun of it. I suppose a lot of girls have problems with cycling when it comes to like whether it's people catcalling them or things like that. So it's kind of encouraging these young girls to just get out there and do it. We were doing green schools in our school and we had the green schools coordinator. He came to our school and he was doing a little kind of focus group type thing. So there was maybe 20 or 30 of us in the room and we were just girls and we were just talking about our issues with cycling and it was just really interesting and there's a lot more issues that were brought up that I wouldn't have thought of myself because I would see myself as quite a confident cyclist. So such things as, you know, the helmet doesn't feel nice, people, friends would often like look at them, like kind of what are you doing on a bike? The cycle lanes were, weren't good so they're nervous around cars which is a really big thing. For me, myself, I have certain ways I get around town to avoid certain traffic situations, which is kind of crazy, really. So I just kind of thought getting part of this was a good thing. It was gonna encourage more people to cycle, particularly girls, and I think that's a brilliant thing. One of the kind of themes that came up was like cycling was considered uncool and was kind of stigmatized to be a girl cycling. And the focus groups that we're carrying out now or have been carrying out have been kind of inspired by those themes, but also trying to find out what the kind of national picture is really. So it appears that there seems to be some kind of transition from, as you say, the junior cycle into the senior cycle where things just change for whatever reason. Uh, cycling is seen as different or it's maybe not as socially accepted. The research is precisely trying to find out what explains this change and how can we interrupt it or disrupt this change? Basically make it a kind of school and perhaps the surrounding environment around the school a facilitative environment for girls to cycle in where it's as kind of acceptable and as accessible really as it is for boys. We live in, in the countryside and we go to Davit College in Caspar. It's a mixed school. It's about, you know, 50-50 girls 50 50 boys one interesting thing that we that we may consider at some point as well is schools without a cycling gender gap which do exist actually trying to explore what makes them different from the schools that do have a cycling gender gap which is the vast majority of secondary schools i remember when we were in like fifth class so in primary school we did this sort of cycling skills really. skills thing yeah. so like the rules of the road and things like that and it was quite helpful i have to say so even if there was more of that for young children yeah, more like cycling classes or something like that, you know. That was incorporated into our PE when we were in primary school. Yeah. I remember there was a couple of weeks where we'd all bring our bikes to school and we learned how to indicate and, you know, properly hold a bike with one hand, and that kind of stuff. check behind us and all that. Oh, yeah, check yeah. behind you. 
It was really helpful, I think. A big part of the anti-cycles campaign more broadly, because this is only one aspect of the campaign, is for it to be student-led, is for the girls themselves to be able to, I suppose, lead the charge in making cycling more of a widely used mode for girls across the country going to secondary school. People may, you know, be mean to you about it, but to be honest, if someone's mean to someone about cycling, you are definitely better than them. You're just doing something good for your health and for the environment. So you're a good person. If you're a bit worried about it, maybe find a friend to cycle with or someone to go with. I think that would help a lot as well. Cycling on your own is kind of, sometimes it's really nice, but sometimes you just want another person there that you can talk and you have chats and yeah, it's good fun. Fiona and Emer are great ambassadors for cycling and each of us can be too. All we need to do is get the bike out of the shed and zoom. As I record this, a new programme for government is being formed. And it's one that, at least on paper, has a greener agenda. Greater investment in cycling and making our roads safer for kids and families to get out on their bikes are one highlight. I really hope it happens. I was six when I learned to cycle first and I remember I was the first person in my family like, and I just really wanted to do it. I really, really wanted to do it. It was in a park and my dad was holding my bike and then he accidentally let go and then I just cycled. Well, he did it on purpose. I learned to cycle out in my aunt's house in Malahide and, and on a chopper bike, so that tells you how old I am. And the chopper bike was just the coolest thing ever. Yeah, and my mother had to convince me to do it by saying she'd give me two euro. Mind you, she didn't actually give me that two euro, so... <laughs> but it still got me over it, though. I loved it because it was just... You get your own sense of freedom when you're on your bike. When you learn how to do it yourself, it's just you're doing it. It's your independence. It's just, it's a really special time and it's something that sticks with you for your whole life, which is amazing. So let's do all we can this week and all summer long to celebrate cycling. But be careful all the time. Make sure to wear your helmet and watch out for other road users. Let us know about your favourite cycle routes or how you've blinged your bike. Well, me. I've got tassels on the handlebars and a sweet basket for Mipsy. Oh, and do tell us if you think your school has made a greater effort to get their students cycling. Simply email junior at rte.ie. Now, where to next? Evolution! Evolution was produced by Nikki Coughlin for RTE Junior Radio. Most of the material recorded for this podcast was gathered on a bike.